Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. All right, my friends, I'm so excited. I have Rita with us today, and she has really quite the amazing cancer story. And I'm not going to tell you much about it. I'm going to let her tell her story. But I think you're going to be pretty impressed and amazed at how bad things can seem and still end up really good. And it's just one of the lessons I want all of you to take from today that if you don't give up, things can really turn around. So she's going to tell us her story. And Rita, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, My story began in December of 2016 when I was diagnosed with mucosal melanoma in the vagina. It is something I had never heard of. And I come to find out it is a, a very rare form of melanoma, this mucosal melanoma, and can be aggressive. And it all started, just to backtrack a little bit, in August of 2016 when I noticed some spotting. I immediately went to my um, primary care physician who sent me to the gynecologist, my gynecologist. They did a biopsy, and at that time, they just thought it was vaginal dryness, and they gave me some creams, and they sent me home. And it never quite went away. I did that for about two months, and that spotting was still there. I decided I was going to call the doctor's office again and just see, you know, let them know it's not working. Is there anything else I should be doing? just so happened that the morning that I went in, I was bleeding profusely, lots of blood, lots of clots coming out. And I went into the office, saw me right away, and they did a biopsy. And after a few days, they called me back and the nurse practitioner says, well, we got those results back and it's melanoma. And we've not really seen melanoma in the vagina. So we're going to redo that one again send it to pathology, make sure everything is correct. In the meantime, you're going to see a dermatologist, gynecological oncology. And so about a week later, I'm over at the gynecological oncologist and she examines me. And sure enough, she confirms that it is mucosal melanoma. She can see it. I was shocked and I just, I think I was stunned. I I know I didn't say it anything. She had to repeat it. I just stared at her because in my head, I'm thinking, this is my worst nightmare. You know, I'm living it out right here, right now. So of course, my first reaction is just get everything out. Just take it all out. You know, I'm ready. Just get rid of it. And she says, no, I can't do that. I will have to send you to a, a melanoma specialist, a surgeon, because There are so many things in there, bowel, uh, bladder, and I I don't know what else is in there. It was going to be very, very tricky. So I move on and I do go to the melanoma surgeon and did a PET scan. This is all, now we're heading through Christmas. So I go through Christmas waiting for this appointment, have the PET scan, and sure enough, he confirms it. He can operate. He says he's able to do it. They'd like to shrink it. I knew from that visit that 
things were not looking good. He never, he never said it in so many words, but, you know, in my own uh, naivete, I said, you know, go ahead, give me some chemo. I'll take chemo. No, we don't have chemo for melanoma. I said, oh, okay. You know, he says, we do have some immunotherapy. I'd like to try. This tumor is in a really difficult location. Let's try that. Let's try to shrink it and we'll take it from there. So I see a whole team of doctors. So the next person I see is the melanoma oncologist. And she runs through sort of like the game plan that they have set out for me. He'd liked to start with uh, a combination immunotherapy drug. It was called Ipinevo. It's two, two drugs. And the hope is that a couple of sessions of this will shrink the tumor, which will make surgery easier for that, for the doctor, for the surgeon. So I go in, I have the, the treatment. I am still working. I'm feeling great. I'm about two weeks into having had the, the treatment when all of a sudden I just begin with coughing and difficulty breathing to the point that I have to now stop work. I can't sort of catch my breath. I'm just having a really difficult time. So I go back into oncology and they said, no, we need to stop. You'll see a pulmonologist and we will have to fix this lung issue before you're even able to get any type of surgery. So I only had run one round of that Ipinevo and I then have uh, 30 days of prednisone. And I was weaned off as I got better to it, uh, got better. And uh, finally in March, I am ready for the surgery. I know the surgery is major. It's extensive. The tumor hadn't really, I don't think it had really shrunk all that much. I mean, I only had one round of it, but it was, we, we sort of didn't have a choice. And, mm-hmm. and I knew that. And I knew all of the consequences that could come about you know, from the surgery, I could have wound up with a colostomy bag, I could have, I mean, a lot of things can can happen. But anyway, I went, we went forward, I was very confident in my in my surgeon. And uh, we did the surgery, total hysterectomy, he removed, he did a vaginectomy. And it was it was successful. I was in the hospital for about a week. And I knew that once I recuperated from this, I would need to do radiation. Mm -hmm. And that was all part of the the initial plan that they gave me. I did, I think it was about 27, 28 days of radiation, whatever the standard is. That wasn't um, too bad. It got a little difficult as you, as you hit week three and four. And then after that, I started with colitis, which I think is sort of par for the course. I do this and not uncommon. We're now in the month of July. I'm going to have a pet and I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I mean, beside the colitis, I actually feel pretty good. And I have the PET scan and that's when I get another shock where they tell me, no, this uh, cancer, we now see it. Your, your growing area is lighting up and there's a probability that we didn't get it all or that it just, it's just so aggressive that Mm -hmm. it just sort of will travel and of course, devastated again, but they had a plan and the plan was for me to get on systemic therapy. So we did systemic therapy and I started in the middle of August with Optivo and another immunotherapy drug. And I think it was every three weeks I was doing that and I was doing well, just your regular side effects, fatigue, you know, sort of not hungry, but I mean, I was, I was tolerating it pretty good. And we were sort of going to keep going till 
my body said no more. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went on till December. I did another PET scan at that point. I think it looked pretty good. And then December 21st, I go in for uh, treatment. And every time you go in for treatment, you get your labs done, you see the doctor and did my lab, saw the doctor. Uh, they're waiting. I'm down at the infusion center. I've got all my, uh, I'm ready to go, you know, put in the IV and all. And then the nurse comes by and she says to me, are you, are you feeling okay today? I go, sure. I feel great. And they go, oh, because your blood sugars came back and you're at 633, oh which gosh. was, Right. I go, oh. <laughs> For people who don't know, that is an insanely high blood sugar. <laughs> yeah. And how are you still feeling good and standing? Right. And, right. And so, I, not that they did it wrong, but I, let's, let's do the test again. I'm sure there's a, there's a mistake. They repeat the test and now I'm at, I don't know, 570. So, so no infusion that day go back up to see the oncologist and they, they sent me straight to the ER. Yes. And my, my oncologist warned me, they're not going to understand what's just happened to you. Have them call me. Like Mm -hmm. when you explain this, it is so rare. In fact, when I first was given the whole treatment plan, this, which is diabetes type one, this was, uh, there was a possibility that I could get it, but the percentage is like, 1%. So in the grand scheme of everything that was happening to me, I'll take the chance on a 1%. For sure. Right. And so I get there and I tell, you know, I'm a triage and you know what happened? I go, Oh, I'm a, I'm a type one diabetic now. (laughs) They're looking at me. Uh, Oh, I don't know. Let's let, let me call your doctor and see what it is. Anyway, I was admitted to the hospital. I think the only reason that I was not in uh, DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, is probably because the destruction of the beta cells, which is what had happened in my body, had probably just started to happen Mm -hmm. in in the last, I'll say the last few days, because I had had, I think, a blood test the week before, and my sugars were totally normal. Anyway, I'm in the hospital for diabetes. That's a whole other experience. And I had to learn how to give myself injections and, you know, learn all about insulin and all those things that, you know, I did not know about. Anyway, so we did that. I come home. I went back to treatment for, I think, two more times. And then we had to stop because I developed um, other side effects, which were sort of my mucus is the best way I can describe it. They kind of dried up everywhere Mm -hmm. from neck on up. So no saliva, difficulty breathing, no, no tears in your eyes. So when I cried, there were no tears coming out. And that is a very weird experience. Swallowing was so difficult because you just need your saliva just Mm -hmm. for everything to talk, to swallow, to eat food. You know, the oncology team got to work on that to try to resolve this issue. Eventually, I see a rheumatologist and he figured it out. So I I took a couple of tries, but I'm on a medication that sort of seemed to help. I had Mm -hmm. to go to the eye um, doctor to see about the cornea because the cornea is getting scratched because there's absolutely nothing there. And I now have to wear special uh, what they call scleral lenses, which are lenses that are in like the shape of a bowl that holds some sort of fluid. I fill it up and that lubricates the the cornea. And so that has helped with that. 
I end up with a couple of more hospital stays along the way, more DKA, more diabetic ketoacidosis. And so we get through, we get through all of this. And then I knew that when they uh, laid out the plan for me, there was like a particular order to the drugs they were going to give me mm-hmm. always to keep me open for clinical trials if I would need them or they would come up and always in the hopes that science would sort of be one step ahead of me. And yes. like, so I'm following really close by because early on, um, I was talking to a doctor uh, on my team and, and they said, we're going to give it all we've got. There's only so much we can we can do for this cancer. But hopefully, as science moves forward with this and new things come out and a lot has come out for melanoma, you know, you'll be right there and, and we'll be able to to give you those things. And in fact, one of the things that happened is I think now in, in January of 2019, I developed uh, a tumor on my upper arm, which I can feel and see. And for that tumor, they gave me something called Emlygic or TVAC, which is actually a non-active herpes virus that is directly in- injected directly into the tumor, which kind of, with the way they explained it, it kind of activates the immunotherapies drug that is in there and those cells to fight this cancer and it actually worked and that tumor on my arm went away I developed a small tumor in my bowel in my small intestine I'm sorry in my small intestine that I had surgery for that and at that point now I've got to get onto another systemic treatment that is available to me called Keytruda I did that because obviously this cancer is in there. I mean, it's moving and it's just showing yeah. up in different places. Yeah. I mean, you had had a recurrence in your arm. It was initially in your groin. So at that point you yeah. officially have metastatic disease, you know? Absolutely. And at some point along all this, it had traveled to my liver. There were lesions in my liver and in my lungs. And um, though the lungs were never quite confirmed, the liver was. Mm-hmm. So it's all, it's there. It's, yeah. it's metastatic, which, you know, this cancer initially was, you know, they never like staged it. Like I never right. heard you have, you have stage four, but at some point, you know, my husband was with me through this whole thing and he's asking doctors and it's, this is a mucosal is a type of cancer that they don't even stage it because they know Correct. it's a stage four. Yeah. It's just, it's just is, um, it's so either localized develop, or it's, or it's stage four. Like that's, that's four. the extent nothing, of the staging there is. Yeah, exactly. Then eventually I get a, another uh, tumor in my lower back and I get that TVAC as well. And then last April I found, a, well, we knew it was there. We found a lump under my right arm and I had that tumor removed. It was a lymph node, the lymph okay. node removed. Uh, as well as like 28 other lymph nodes all around it. And except for the one that we knew was melanoma, the rest of them did not have cancer in it. Okay. So, yeah, so that was good. And so I did the Keytruda for about six months. I had to stop because I developed uh, colitis, like severe. Mm-hmm. So nothing worked to, to, you know, to sort of tap that down. So we had to stop Eventually we try, she tried different things. Uh, and eventually I'm on a, a pill called budesonide right now. And that seems to hold it steady. 
So, you know, I couldn't stay on, I did prednisone for a little bit forward. It helped kind of, sort of, but I couldn't stay on that forever with type one. That's very difficult to right. manage your blood sugars. Putesonide is working. I'm holding steady. I've had clean scans. So I had my, 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 uh, the tumor under my arm removed in April of 2020. I had scans in September that were clear and I had scans in, in the January lungs that were and clear. In the, in the liver? Everywhere. So wow. the lungs, we did. Well, they did a biopsy in the lung. They could never quite confirm it. So they're never sure what was it that was lighting up in yeah. the lung. I don't know. But you the had liver something went confirmed away. in the liver and that went away. At- but yeah, so um, so now I am at scans every six months. She's moved me to six. Oh, wow. Because That's exciting. It's exciting because I, first of all, it, it is exciting, scary yes. and exciting. But I've had so many scans. I mean, for five years, I've had them every three months, including right. PET scans, including MRIs and including other scans for, you know, before surgery. And I mean, all these sort of things that I've had. So uh, we kind of like to give my body a break. And this might be a good time to yeah. do it. In the meantime, I'm, I'm very vigilant. I do, you know, pay attention, listen to my body, pay attention to it. But yes, so that is where I stand today. So how long have you been no evidence of disease since well since the scan of september 2021 so okay six months now yeah that's awesome but it was not an easy ride to get there i mean you had almost every crazy rough side effect there was with those meds you know a lot of people are on keytruda or updevo and they like just sail through Mm -hmm. it was not a sail through for you it was not. There was always something. As you can imagine, there were so many visits to the hospital, you know, to see the doctors and appointments and different doctors and different tests. And and it was not easy. And it just seems like my body, for some reason, we sort of laugh at it. I mean, if it's a very rare thing, I will probably get it. <laughs> you know, the diabetes I get, you know, just all, all sorts of stuff like that. And so it's a, it's a constant. It is I mean, it's been five years, so it's tiring. It's a little, it can be a little exhausting to say the least, but, uh, you know, I sort of looked at it as long as, I mean, nobody likes to get the news that anything isn't looking the way it should, Mm -hmm. but my, my, you know, I told my doctors, as long as you've got something for me, like if you have a, a plan, I'll be all in. When they give you that news, I mean, it is not, you know, I cry in the offices. I, you know, it takes a, it takes a day or two to sort of find that strength within to sort of say, okay, let me be mad. Let me be sad. Let me cry. Let me sort of vent, but then I've got to get, I got to get down to business and I sort of have to almost have your game face on and I'm just going to do what I need to do. I think that's such a good advice for people that, you know, it's fine to take a couple of days to emotionally process the news, but at some point you've Mm -hmm. got to like pick yourself up and dust yourself off and be like, all right, you know, there's a problem laying in my bed with the, with the curtains shut isn't going to fix this problem. It is not. And I, I think the other thing that is, I mean, the other thing that helps me and sort of gives me strength, I can't underestimate my husband's done for me. I am so lucky that I have somebody that he's been at every doctor visit with me. 
there's so much that's being thrown at you, particularly in the beginning where you don't even understand what they're taught, what they're, the words they're right. using, what they're talking about. The doctor can be telling me, okay, this is what we're going to do. And they can lay out the things where he's already moved on. I'm still thinking about the first thing yeah. he told me. And like, you're still trying to figure out, you know, the difference between chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and radiotherapy. Like, you know, you're still exactly. stuck on that first step of like, wait, which one goes where? <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, it was always suggested to me by my by my doctors, if you can get out and go for a walk, you could step mm -hmm. outside, do not lay in that bed, do not lay in on that couch all day. If you can do even a little bit, go ahead and do it. And um, so I had uh, friends that would reach out and even just stepping outside and walking around the block with somebody and talking to them and breathing the fresh air and just being outdoors is so uplifting. For and it sure. gives you so much strength. Yeah. So I'm I found a huge um, believer in nature as medicine and in being part of a successful cancer program. I think it really helps to dispel some of the stress hormones that lead to some of the side effects that you see in people with, who are getting chemotherapy, you know, because mm -hmm. we know that stress hormones suppress immunity. And so I think that getting out and like using nature as as a medicine, as a form of treatment to help you manage those effects is really useful. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is that when you sort of don't know how much time you have, like, you know, I was, I never asked, I didn't want to know. I just sort of want to just tell me what I got to do to get better and right. I'll, I'll carry on. So all of a sudden when you're out there, everything looks bright and beautiful. And, you know, and the other thing I wanted just to say about, you know, having that couple of solid friends or somebody that you can count on, especially when it's such a long haul like me, like I know, but it is a chronic disease that I have. It is. And so most likely come back and it's not that I'm negative or anything. It just is what it is. And sometimes I can feel like oh, nobody wants to hear my story again. And that might just be me, but having a, you know, just a few people that, you know, they get it, that that is so helpful. Yeah. I think that one of the things that you said is, I think just such a great thought process, which was you just are hoping that science stays a step ahead of you. We are in that time right now where new things mm -hmm. are being developed all the time. We're getting more and more understanding of the genetics of these diseases. We're finding more and more things that target on a molecular level and are very specific for different types of tumors and just are having really a much more successful path than sort of the undirected chemotherapy. And, you know, these immunotherapies and targeted molecules, you know, it's really the wave of the future. And we keep finding more and more little things to target and go after. And, you know, you don't have to have the cure today. You just have to stay alive long enough to get to it. Absolutely. And that gives me hope, right? That, that gives me the hope that, okay, I'm doing great. I will take it. I'm very happy. I will do everything I can just in my regular everyday life of me. In my own way of being me, I'm just trying to get everything on my side, kind mm -hmm. of like 
I always say, I don't want to have a regret that I should have done it. And I didn't because I was lazy or it's, if something is accessible to me and I can do it, I want to do it. And then the rest of it is really out of my hands and hopefully yeah. in the hands of science. And what are the things that are different in how you live your life now? Has it helped you to sort of more seize the moment? Yes, it has. I mean, what do I do different? Since um, being diagnosed with cancer, about a year in, I started doing meditation. Mm -hmm. So I meditate just 10 minutes every day. For a long stretch of time, I want to say for about two years, we really weren't allowed to go anywhere. Uh, My doctor kind of wanted me close by. We didn't know how my body would react and some of these side effects, you know, I don't want to get them when I'm on a trip somewhere. So she was very careful. So now when I have those uh, breaks and in treatment, but also now with COVID, if there's an opportunity to, to travel and to go somewhere, yeah, I'm going to seize it. But those are kind of big picture things. I try to seize it every day. Yes. Like, you know, I wake up in the morning and I look up and I see the sunrise and I'll stop and look. And I mean, it may sound cheesy, but I find it doesn't take a lot to make me happy. It's like the little things make me happy, you know? Isn't and that and like, amazing when you realize right. like the right. things that you were missing before that now mm-hmm. you realize, oh, like I can actually get some joy from that little small thing. And when I, when I add up a hundred little joys that I used to miss, how much more joy is that in my life? So many people are in such a rush that they miss these little things. Sometimes you need like almost a kick in the tush, you know, you need something to knock you down a little to be able to stop and recognize that you're missing all those good things along the way. Yeah. I mean, life, I, I find for myself right now, I don't really think of like a bucket list. I don't really now. Would I like to go to a particular place? Sure. But is that what's going to make me the happiest? No, right. I think actually living my day uh, in awareness and finding joy and laughter and, uh, you know, looking out the window, eating a really good plate of food. I mean, there's a lot of joy in that. And I think sometimes it could be underestimated, right? Because those are just the little things, but really all those little things make up life. Right. I mean, that's what life is. It's all full of I mean, if moments. you're just waiting for the big things, all those days go by and mm-hmm. you don't get them back. And so if you, they can either be days filled with joy or they can be days that just sort of slide by under the radar with nothing memorable about them. Either way, you don't get them back. And so I totally agree. Like just really looking for those little joys every day, being aware, you know, looking for them and recognizing them when you see them just really enriches the life that we have. So true. Yes. What sort of thoughts have you used along the way? to really help you to sort of not fall into despair with bad news? I mean, the, the one thing I never knew about myself, I never thought 
that I was a strong person. I never did. I think the reason why I was so stunned when the initial doctor told me, yes, you have cancer. And I just could, couldn't even get anything out of my mouth because I was thinking, this is my worst nightmare that she just told me. Are you kidding me? I can't do this. If I were to take myself at, at that point and look at myself now, I would have never thought that I could go through this and like, okay, Rita, yes, you got cancer here now. Yes, it's spread there now. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. And I would have never thought that I would have the strength to do it. So I think people should never underestimate how strong they really are inside. That is so, so true. Yeah. 100%. We all have this like, well, this reservoir of strength that we don't realize we have until we really need it. Right. Sure. Exactly. Well, well, I love the grace and the courage and everything that you're doing to get through this. And I think this is really going to help a lot of people to just step up to the plate and not give up and just wait for science to catch up and be that what they need. Yeah. I love and that. keep fighting. Just keep, keep mm -hmm. one step ahead. Exactly. Exactly. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing today. It was lovely to be with you. Thank you so much, Deborah. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week and I'll speak with you soon.